0: Have you ever seen the Darren Aronofsky film Noah, the big budget film about Noah's Ark? He couldn't get that financed, and eventually, what he did was he made he got someone to turn it into a graphic novel, so the studio could kind of see what (laughs) it might look like. Um, Which is
1: crazy because you'd think the Bible is like the original graphic novel. It is, and also,
0: hello, internet. You're listening to In Your House Comedy Podcast with the Babyface and his fellow funny friend now hold on to your butts keep your arms and legs inside the podcast at all times
1: prepare to have an autographical orgasm in three two two one it's actually working for once <laughs> hello everybody then welcome to the in your house comedian podcast i am stand-up comedian K.D. And I am joined, as always, by one of my fellow funny friends from around the comedy circuit. Please welcome Mr. Aidan McCaffrey. How are you doing, dude? Hello, KD. Thanks for letting me join your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. It's absolutely fine, my man. Always happy to chat poop.
0: Excellent stuff. I'm uh, admiring your background. Hulk. Is that Hulk versus Hulkbuster? Oh, yeah, that is indeed. Is that
1: one of those, like, wooden prints that you get? Yeah, this is one of the better canvases I've got. To be fair,
0: I've I've got a similar one, but mine's uh, it's Kirk versus Gorn from Star Trek.
1: Okay, okay,
0: they're quite fun, aren't they? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, yeah, I've got quite a few different ones of them now. Um, a few different canvases. Um, so tell everyone anyway what kind of stuff you're into in general, man. Um, so, what kind I mean... of comedy stuff you got going on as well? You know
0: sure so i'm a stand-up comedian i'm from yorkshire i've been gigging in london for the past two or three years but as of i basically moved up back to yorkshire in march just before lockdown started and i got a car so i was looking forward to finally being one of those comedians who could get professional gigs by promising better comedians lifts to the middle of nowhere (laughs) that was my plan (laughs) yeah get into the comedy circuit with a driving license that was my routine but as soon as i moved up here the lockdown happened so now i've done one gig in seven months which is something as a, another comedian i'm sure you can relate to
1: yeah yeah very much uh, it has been um especially we like over the last couple well last couple of months been on most of the year Any now when we're on the boat
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. I, the one gig i did was was pretty solid though so it was a nice little sort of confidence boost even though once like pretty much a week or two after they announced the second lockdown so i I had to resign myself to the fact that this gig wasn't going to be the start of a new wave of gigs it was actually going to be this island in the year one gig on the uh, on either side of this island would be two oceans of nothing (laughs) no gig you know what
1: I completely understand what you mean there yeah, because I pretty much had the exact same thing uh, at the exact yeah. same time.
0: Yeah, yeah. because so I mean, would... because I have a lot of friends on Facebook who are London comedians. It did seem there was this spate in summer of London gigs happening, whether it be on rooftops or in space, sparse, sparse bars, sparsely seated bars. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, where are you based, KD? Um, I'm.
1: Um birmingham to west midlands oh, okay. so i'm,
0: had, I'm yeah. based in leeds and i don't know if your experience it seems like it's pretty sparse in terms of what's happening there's lots of there's professional gigs happening but if you're sort of not quite a, a professional level yet there's yeah, sort of yeah. the massive dearth of like open mic new material stuff whereas in london it seems like both got going again
1: okay yeah i mean yeah yeah to be fair like over like the um pandemic and stuff it's gone completely like you said like all of them apart but like the only one is still going that i know of is the Hollybush. have you ever been to that
0: no but because i'm new up here i'm not massively okay with the northern circuit
1: oh uh, yeah um the holly is like a great one to go to and ever they've, they've actually been going um keeping going through everything but um yeah you're right like most of them have just kind of disappeared at the moment but i think it's kind of you kind of have to and it's like a weird time at the moment haven't really yeah, got
0: a I mean, choice i'm not saying they're making the wrong decision it's just sort of sad yeah, yeah from a yeah. perspective that you can't do it but i started um as i'm sure many people did i i used the lockdown to start a podcast and yeah. Uh, yeah. that's been interesting you asked me what my interests are i was trying to figure out what to do a podcast about and i'm basically i'm interested in politics and i'm interested in movies and i picked movies because i figured it would be a more fun thing to do a podcast about because <laughs> politics i find it can be hard in the modern age to be funny about politics because you have to get through mm. a wall of brutal depression before you can get <laughs> yeah. there and um, although having Sadly, said that talking could. about films it presents its own challenge because i found that i'm do, trying to do a comedy podcast about movies as the movie theatrical going movie experience is collapsing around us, so <laughs> that's become a challenge on its own
1: yeah i think um i mean what i've been doing mainly like m- me myself i've been trying to do podcasts and stuff like you said like everyone's been doing podcasts um but not focusing too much on the comedy we're funny people we can't help but the comedy comes natural <laughs> that'll come okay. on its own you know
0: <laughs> yeah it's a funny uh, one i mean the the other thing about doing a podcast now is I, I did a podcast about seven years ago and it was a radio sitcom that i just produced in my friend's bedroom but we managed to get oh, into- okay yeah, we managed to get it to a professional standard with a cast of like proper actors yeah like a scripted thing yeah 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 exactly yeah. and we managed to get that in the itunes top 20 plus the itunes top 10 comedy podcasts and, oh, wow. and and that was just from six episodes what's interesting about doing a podcast now is back then 2013 doing a podcast st- still felt like something of a novelty like you could say to someone yeah. i do a podcast and they'd like light up like oh you do a podcast and it almost sounded like you were simon mayo or something because because you had a podcast whereas yeah now, yeah because every fucker and their dog has a podcast <laughs>
1: especially now yeah
0: yeah it's so hard to get anyone to listen because it, it, it's like no seriously mine's quite good and it's like yeah you and everyone else's podcast mate it's very difficult
1: yeah it's all about like trying to make us stand out isn't it make them different yeah yeah, yeah. but um I mean i know you mean like because i started my in my this podcast in your house podcast before like about a year ago now something like that nice but um and i felt like then everyone had a podcast you know (laughs) (laughs) so even more so now yeah but yeah yeah, just by coming up with some random um new ideas on this
0: yeah i've tried to do like a so it's a film podcast It's, it's ostensibly me reading the film news of that week like who's being cast in what what films are yeah, being yeah. announced what's happening in the mcu that kind of thing but i've uh i i sort of really i'm just using that as a springboard to talk about my random thoughts on life and everything and in that sense sometimes it does get political because you can you know if something political is happening in hollywood like i don't know the academy awards of try to diversify their rules that can be a springboard to talk about race and i don't know yeah, culture yeah. and all that kind of stuff and i find it's quite good for yeah it's quite good for that and because it's just a film news of that week i don't really know what i'm going to talk about it's just like yeah what's happening in film and then you can either use that film or the actor in it or the plot of the film as a sort of springboard to just talk about irreverent nonsense yeah
1: to, to be honest, you, you bring up a good point, though, because I mean, the media um, very much like kind of. Oh, well, obviously, it spreads news and that, but um, at the same time, like the media kind of like spreads like. Oh, I don't know how to put it. Like I was, I was trying to make this point earlier with um, I know it's it doesn't, it's not the same at all. But with combination streets, <laughs> yeah, um, like they cover like important stories, things that stuff needs things that need to be looked at like storylines need to be looked at that um because they cover them like it kind of makes it normal and be able to discuss it you know and the films kind of do the same thing
0: yeah What are you said are you saying that soaps can be a sort of mass market normalizer of subjects
1: i that was put much better than what i said but yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, know you, do, but you raise a good point it's like if say like, like if your gay character starts, if you have a gay wedding on a soap opera, it, it yeah. to me feels like a sign that you're there now. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's yeah, yeah. accepting. If, if Coronation Street has gay characters on, then you know your mum and your aunt and your grand are probably going to be <laughs> yeah. okay with, yeah. with gay
1: people. Which is pretty much what happened, like, 10, 15 years ago or something, probably.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean I'm not a great watcher of soaps because I find the... They stretch the plots out too thin, but that's probably just because I'm an elite metropolitan snob who just <laughs> likes to watch Darren Aronofsky films. But I do think there is a there is a worth in it. Like I don't know, I remember yeah. when I was young and you, Ma- Mark Fowler gets AIDS on EastEnders, <laughs> and suddenly that's oh, the way yeah. the masses can sort of digest what AIDS is. Oh uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah like, no problem. With
1: that, that yeah, one. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I'm just riffing on what you've said. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark Fowler getting AIDS in the late 90s feels like, at the time it felt like that was coming quite a long time after AIDS was announced. You look back on it now and it's like, well, that's only like 10 years after it became a big thing. So, you know, maybe... maybe And for ages
1: they didn't understand it anyway, did they? Like, it's something they didn't get for ages.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, you've had to digest it. It's like, have you ever seen that Eddie Murphy thing when he's talking about AIDS in 1983? I feel like I have, but what was it again? I mean... (laughs) Basically, AIDS was discovered in like eighty three ish, right? In eighty three, mm. in Eddie Murphy's stand up special that he released that year, and I can't remember if it was Delirious or Law. Yeah, he he makes these really homophobic jokes about how he doesn't want to go near gay people because they have AIDS. It's really shocking to watch, but also it's like, wow, he was really right out the gate on that issue. Did you know what I mean? It's yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. You know, if there's a controversial issue in the air, my feeling is always. I'm going to leave this for a bit because I want to see where it lands and I want to see where I haven't figured out what I feel about it immediately. <laughs> whereas Murphy? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just straight out the gate on it. And obviously, he then has to apologize for it two decades later. Yeah.
1: You know what? I suppose it's just because um back then the internet wasn't a thing, was it? So, well, obviously yeah. it wasn't a thing, you know what I mean? So they just saw it as like a smaller thing. But now, obviously, like you said, stuff you did like 40 years ago, you have to apologize for now yeah but yeah. um yeah yeah no that yeah yeah that's yeah. so mind. i was gonna say something <laughs> well, right
0: mind, for. Gonna say operas, <laughs> aids eddie murphy we're all over the place
1: yeah <laughs> um yeah i've grew i've lived with women all my life so for me i've watched the soaps like all my life man
0: <laughs> it is a very much like yeah it's very much like uh there's a certain corners of culture I'm only exposed to when I'm when I'm at my mum's house. So, like anything like strictly come dancing, I'm a celebrity, yeah. get me out of here, Coronation Street. That's good though. I mean, cause because now these days you can just be in your own site, it's like information entertainment silo. And it's interesting going back to my mum's house because it's like, oh, I, I get to watch I'm a celebrity and see what that's all about. Because yeah. otherwise, I just would have no idea whatsoever.
1: It's the difference like it, it does make a big difference like watching channels rather than watching stuff on demand i don't know if you've ever noticed that but it is very different yeah like it feels different as well like when you're watching stuff on the channel it's like you're getting this flow of stuff coming to you and you can get stuff you want and don't want and that but when you're on demand it's like you know you're picking everything and all that like on netflix
0: i, I worry i i was discussing I this was with more indulgeful. yeah i was watching i was discussing this with my wife yesterday because i worry that i slash we. Are almost too much uh, the streaming age allows you to sort of be a control freak about what you ingest culturally yeah yeah because you can be like I pretty much only watch things that have either been recommended to me or like a sort of cr- critically acclaimed like I have to have it on some kind of authority yeah that you know, just, it might be good and yet some reason that, why you got to watch it first yeah but back in the day if you just like have five tv channels or 20 tv channels or whatever you do a lot of flicking through the channels so you discover random stuff and i was saying like now like i would never now consciously choose to watch the tv show deadliest catch have you ever seen deadliest catch
1: <laughs> i haven't watched it but i know what you mean isn't that yeah. uh, fishing
0: but yeah but back in the day before i just catch that and then i'd be like suddenly absorbed into a world of alaskan fishermen <laughs> and it's amazing like, it's just like these guys are insane Whereas now I wouldn't watch it because it's not in the sort of cultural sphere of yeah. stuff that I will would choose to accept. So maybe some maybe some nights I do just need to pick up the remote and flick through the channels until I find some random shit that I never ever would have watched otherwise.
1: No, that's a good point. But I never thought of it like that either because like, it's just a case of you could be missing out on things as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I could see that as being something that will die out over, well, I say soon, you know, like soon in the grand scheme, like, you know, like 10, 15 years. Channels, you know, just in general, just kind of dying out. Maybe not 10, 15 years, maybe
0: a bit longer than that. It's interesting. I mean, I think there will always be event television, as long as there's always things that, excuse me as long as there's always things everybody likes so like stranger yeah. things is an example or actually maybe the mandalorian is a better example because that's on tv right now when the mandalorian new episode comes out everyone's very excited a really star Wars yeah star. when stranger thing or the crown comes back it becomes a talking point so you still have event television but yeah you don't have um it's not scheduled quite as much but ultimately like i think yeah. people will still rush to watch it immediately because no one wants to have it spoiled for themselves like I watched, um, I watched the Bake Off final live on TV last <laughs> week because I knew if I didn't, then I would potentially have it spoiled for me on the on Facebook. So I was like, I've got to watch the Bake Off final tonight.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I was watching that as well. I don't know what you mean, but you, you know what's shocking though? I actually waited. um When did I wait till? I waited till Wednesday night, I think it was. I might have even been Thursday to watch it. um imagine yeah i know i watched it with my mom um that's why i was waiting for a time you know for both of us to watch it Mate,
0: you are taking unnecessary gambles with your life if you're <laughs> waiting two days to watch the bake-off finale wow tell me
1: tell me about it i know it's just how i like to live my life so I, I
0: play it safe i'm not a maverick i'm, I'm not uh, a rule breaker i've got to play it as safe as possible you you're a da- <laughs> you're too dangerous man you're too dangerous for me
1: it's the only thing that i would, i can do instead of taking heroin but, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um oh,
0: shockingly, you, like, saying didn't that, get me, you, know? you saying that ruined uh, for me? You know, as a former heroin addict or someone who doesn't do drugs at all.
1: Oh I mean, not a not a heroin addict at all. Oh
0: but,
1: <laughs> but Yeah. Uh a Bud alex I don't know if you say addict for a bud, but you know.
0: Pardon?
1: I don't know if you could say addict for a bud. For a bud, but you know. Oh,
0: <laughs> well Sorry, it's just cutting addict.
1: out a little bit as well
0: i think the definition of addict is if you're lying about how much you take so that i think that's the I, definition is it i don't
1: know i can't see how that would be the definition of
0: an addict well i, I don't know i just heard it like because i once said to someone i think i'm addicted to chips and they said <laughs> when someone asks you if you've had chips do you lie and i said no they said you're not addicted to chips i can see that
1: being a definite <laughs> symptom
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah hey i'm not a medical expert i'm probably just talking shit
1: I, that, that's all we ever do, my man. <laughs> nice. Um, Did you know, are, are you into like Conan O'Brien at all? Like the talk show host and stuff? Am I into who? Conan O'Brien. Oh, I know who he is. Yeah, go on. Yeah, did you know he's, um because he's been in like, doing his late show now, in some iteration anyway, um, for like 28 years now, and it's finally coming to an end. I just saw this the other day.
0: Yeah, hasn't he got some, Am I right in thinking he struck some deal with a streaming giant to present a show for them?
1: I hadn't heard that, but that would make sense. Yeah, I heard that
0: what? he's got some daytime show coming out. Ah. Well, end of an era, I guess. That lines yeah. up, uh, frees up a space for some UK James Corden-esque celebrity to uh, <laughs> take his space. Oh,
1: <laughs> I'm not a big fan of James Corden, you know.
0: you know. I'm not either, but it's not because I think he's not talented. It's because i think mm. he is talented and i think he squanders his talent uh,
1: okay yeah i can understand that
0: like he's a, i think he's a good actor he's a good performer i didn't see him in two men i saw two men one governor but not with him in it and people i know I'm who sure. saw it raved about him in it and i think he's a good comedy writer and he's a good comedy actor but his yeah. primary interest in life is to hang out with celebrities and it isn't yeah it skewed his career totally that's why he took this job interviewing celebrities in america and, and what annoys me about him is when he does skits the skits are always like how amazing is this celebrity so if you think about that carpool karaoke thing he does it's not funny yeah. it's not comedy the whole thing is you're amazing let's sing one of your songs yeah and it just he, yeah he did this other one yeah. where he's like i saw him act out all of tom hanks's films with tom hanks and it's like so this isn't comedy you're just going I love all your films, Tom. He's very sycophantic. Yeah. I don't really like
1: about him. Yeah. Just playing off to them, brown nosing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's very good at that, though. But it, it is surprising, like, when you watch, like, Gavin and Stacey and that. And I remember, I don't, i think it was after Gavin and Stacey. Did you ever see Lesbian Vampire Killers?
0: I didn't see it, but I know of it. With him and Matt Horner. Uh,
1: yeah. That was probably my favorite thing. That was great. That was for the wrong yeah. reasons.
0: I'll have to take your word for it. I've never seen it
1: i highly recommend it my friend no. but um yeah i i didn't expect him to go down the chat the late show kind of route. that was quite surprising to be fair
0: but like i say i didn't expect it either but once he did it sort mm-hmm. of made total sense because he is a bit of a sycophantic guy even when he was yeah, yeah. in awards it was like he was like the opposite of rookie gervais he was very much about let's pay respect. <laughs> Let's pay respect to all these pop artists, like they'd all died or something. They haven't died. (laughs) You you need to puncture the bubble of those award shows pomposity. Whereas he's like, no, 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 he buys into it all. Anyway,
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but um, Ricky Gervais like makes a very good point about that all the time. Like, and Joe Rogan as well makes a good point about it. Like, just how. Celebrities always and film stars, especially, always feel the need to like bring up these things as if they should be the ones arguing them. I don't think yeah. it's all so bad that they're bringing them up, though. At the same time, but
0: it, it, it's a weird one that I sort of mm. defend them bringing it up a little bit. In as far as I think politics is for everyone, so yeah. everyone in yeah. any I think people just get annoyed by celebrities because just by virtue of their fame, they have more of a mouthpiece for it. Like if, if Brad Pitt says something about politics everyone will listen to it he's no more qualified to talk about it than you or i um but then when people say oh he should just stick to acting i just think well you know i wouldn't say you wouldn't say that to like a nurse hey shut up nurse baby (laughs) you stick to injections and leave them you can't have an opinion to the the real people you know you wouldn't say it about nurses so (laughs) yeah yeah no completely (laughs) So, what's your vibe what, what are you interested in katie because we don't we, i'm on your pod we don't really know each other this is a bit of a blind date podcast isn't it well yeah yeah they, they don't know what kind of ones i like to be fair but um i like
1: all the same kind of stuff man like i saw that you into your politics and your films and that and um yeah i just like talking about all of that kind of stuff like i had someone on the other day that was um well, it'd be last week or like three days ago when this comes out i don't know um <laughs> But um time is meaningless in the Labour Party. Well,
0: say time, again, sorry. time is meaningless in podcast world. it, it is because editing
1: exists. I'm just very tired today, you know. I'm just not on it
0: today. Usually I'm a lot more sharp, and <laughs> now I'm just not on it today at all. That mate, it's all good. I'm enjoying it. So you were saying about politics, you were talking to some guy the other day about politics on a different episode.
1: Yeah, well, um, he's just involved in politics in general he does something in labor i don't actually know i was just thinking about it i don't actually know what it is in labor he does but he
0: does something in labor well as in you you interviewed him for an hour on your podcast and by the end of the podcast you still had no idea what he did two hours two hours i mean i can relate i've got best friends and you know i always dread i'm um, they're gonna ask me what they do for a living because i'm like i, I don't know what they do for i've known them for years and i can never yeah. grasp what their actual job is
1: yeah 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 um what kind of like films and that mainly are you into then because i know you said you love your films and stuff and that's i'm very much a cinema file. i'm the kind of person that will go to the cinema on his own at like 11 on the night to watch a film or one minute past midnight to watch avengers
0: ah no you see this i think we're in the same boat i'm very much a imax one minute past 12 for a bigger person so um pretty sure i did that for end game avengers end game i definitely did it for all three of the last star wars films in fact all four oh. I, think, I think all of the last few Star Wars films, except solo i actually queued up at midnight and watched a an imax screening yeah yeah um, what was what
1: was your prefer, um preferred out of like the avengers um series for example or the new star wars series
0: this is a very interesting question it's very hard not to say avengers because it feels like whether the film it's not like they're all amazing but it feels like he kevin feige knows where he's going with that franchise so yeah yeah feel like like the, the odd film like ant-man and the wasp that isn't great but it feels like it fits into the overall thing whereas with the last few Star so Wars, you can
1: films, feel the one narrative going through exactly. it
0: still yeah yeah with the last few Star Wars films, it hasn't really felt like they've known where they're going at all and I think people have lost faith in it I think if you'd stack up the first five new Star Wars films force awakens onwards against the first Marvel first five Marvel films they're not that much different in quality you know what I mean there's some duds in those Mm -hmm. early Marvel ones like uh, the Incredible Hulk um Iron Man 2 isn't great I'm not a massive Captain America first Avenger fan but again he was no I'm not
1: I agree with that
0: but he was moving the blocks into place for that first Avengers film and then they knocked it out the park. So again, yeah, it's like maybe on a film for film basis, they're not that much different. But it yeah, did yeah. feel like they knew where they were going in a way they don't with the with these new Star Wars films. And I really liked some of the new Star Wars films and defended them quite a lot. But by the time it got to Rise of Skywalk, it was like, ah, they didn't really have a plan for this, did they? Yeah, yeah. If I, I was talking about this recently,
1: if I remember correctly, wasn't it to do with JJ Abrams did um force awakens and then yeah. ryan johnson was it took over Correct. um for what was it last jedi wasn't it and jd yeah. Abrams tried to salvage it by the skywalker it was everything that i enjoyed in force awakens kind of got messed up by ryan johnson in um last jedi i felt well
0: i really liked the last jedi i quite liked how it dismantled hmm. the franchise in a way and yeah i mean it was quite bold. it was like calling people don't like the prequels but it was sort of calling back to the prequels in some ways by talking about how the jedi like met with the height of their power just totally fucked it up and allowed darth yeah me. i quite like the way it, disma- it sort of dismantled the franchise in that way but uh I, but i think it was teeing up a finale that they just couldn't really deliver like end game They've been putting those blocks in place in terms of the Infinity Gauntlet for like ten years, and yeah, it paid yeah, off yeah. really well. Whereas it felt like by the time they got to the Rise of Skywalker, they didn't really have any of their ideas. Then, oh, let's bring back the Emperor out of some misguided sense of fan service, and it's like uh, I don't know. I yeah. want to. I want to see. I always say in my podcast, the Movie News Podanza. Feel free to download it if you're listening to this. I always say. <laughs> i don't mind endless reboots but i would like people to do something new within it if hollywood insists on just rebooting the same franchises over and over again then at least tell an original story within that universe because one of the problems with hollywood right now is no one's quite got the balls to say let's give 300 million dollars to a filmmaker to tell a, a, a totally original story do you know what i mean yeah 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 so You've got to hope that somehow they'll incorporate that into the avengers universe or into the dc universe or into the star wars universe or the star trek universe or whatever universe is they're rebooting at that point
1: yeah could that be um from what you were saying as well from a moment ago like you know um you could say that like a lot of the audience has lost faith like in a lot of the filmmakers so could it come from you know the fact that they need something a basis there first like a comic book for example you know to go from to have any faith in this
0: well you know have you ever seen the darren aronofsky film noah the big budget film about noah's Ark? yeah with
1: uh russell crowe yeah he couldn't yeah, get
0: yeah. That, he couldn't get that financed and yeah. eventually what he did was he made he got someone to turn it into a graphic novel so the studio oh, God, okay. could kind of see what <laughs> it might look like and then all of a sudden you're not going we're making a 100 million dollar art house noah film suddenly it's like yeah. oh we're adapting this graphic novel into a thing and it's got a basis in something um, which is crazy because you'd think the bible is like the original graphic novel it is and also yeah. in, the, in the 1950s the films that had people queuing on the block were biblical epics stuff like ben hur <laughs> there's a film called the robe which is by inflationary terms one of the top 10 grossing films of all time have you ever fucking heard of the robe is that an um, Alfred Hitchcock film? No, that's Rope. I'm talking about the robe, as in a robe that you wear. Oh, no, 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 never. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either. This was like the one of the biggest films ever when it came out because everyone in the 50s would just queue up to see any biblical epic that mentioned Jesus at some point, whereas now, unless it's Mel Gibson flogging Christ on cross, <laughs> Yeah. No one yeah. This shit. <laughs> yeah.
1: That surprises me because, um, you know, you were saying that. Was that in England as well, though?
0: I don't know about england box office but certainly in america with that bible belt yeah yeah, yeah. ben Hur, all those films are huge yeah that's what i was thinking
1: because it surprised me like to think that like in england that the um, religion would be that big still in the 50s
0: yeah i mean mm. on, on a, going back to the superhero thing it'll be interesting to see when the superhero th- craze dies when um, Matt the director Matthew Vaughan was making X-Men first class which I think came in at, out about 2011 this is one with the first one that had James McAvoy yeah. and Michael I
1: really yeah. liked that one that was actually yeah, was one of the ones I fun. really quite likes
0: it was good fun he yeah. said oh the superhero bubble is going to burst soon because he said by that point it felt like there was loads of superhero films coming out back in which the day there was. yeah back in the day you know you'd have batman films for a few years then they'd die out and you have superman films for a few years and then they'd die out by the time you got to 2011 you had iron man was out four was out captain america was <laughs> coming out there was a few excellent yeah. films out and matthew Vaughan said this is going to burst this bubble one year later um the avengers came out and became one of the biggest films ever made and since then mm. it's shown absolutely no sign of abating like i know the dc films underperform commercially but they still take a lot of money and then you've got all these other side films like shazam and uh, uh yeah yeah what's yeah. that one with tom hardy where he's like the super- venom. venom those yeah. films are massive well shazam
1: dc as well though.
0: yeah but these it's weird like they're just not going anywhere and i'm not criticizing them hmm. i like these films. i'm just saying you thought the bubble would have burst by now and at some point it has to because at some point as with any cultural craze people are gonna go i'm sick of this now kind of have something new but it doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon and even yeah yeah even a slightly average not amazing superhero films like spider-man far from home and captain uh, marvel even those films are taking a billion dollars so people are fucking lapping it up <laughs> <I don't laughs> at
1: it is more the brand now as well to be fair and i think marvel has got to the point now where it's like this is never gonna well it would take a lot this has never been done before this kind of cinema thing where it's been like a series like a proper narrative through like you said like 10 years of film It's never been done before and i'll be surprised if it gets done again
0: yeah well it's like
1: a but, it's a soap opera isn't it yeah basically yeah
0: it's basically coronation street except you don't have to go to your mum's house to watch it
1: <laughs> but it's built up in a face now though that um until it messes up then i can see why the bubble wouldn't burst till then But, yeah, like you said, it's got to burst at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. I mean, as I say, Feige seems to know what he's doing, so, uh, you know, we can only continue to watch. Uh, I tip my hat to him totally. Like, he's not like... I'm not entirely sure if they're reinventing the wheel cinematically beyond just the idea that you have the characters bleed into each other. But, you know, he's tried something fairly new in terms of the way you experience story uh cinema storytelling and uh people seem very excited about it i mean my my podcast is a movie it's a news podcast and one of the announcements that you get a lot is stuff like oh uh doctor strange is going to be in spider-man 3. oh uh star lord is going to be in guardians guardians 3 and that excites yeah. people they just but they just love seeing their favorite heroes pop up in someone else's film it really blows their mind
1: and um, it's just marvel in general as well marvel is just very popular like it's just built of such a thing now
0: yeah it really has i remember when what? i was 10 i was at the cinema hmm. and this uh advert came on and it said arnold schwarzenegger and then it said sylvester stallone and then it said Bruce Willis and my 10 my year old head exploded. And I went, what? This is going to be the best film ever. And it turned out it was an advertisement for Sky Movies <laughs> I felt really yeah. as a kid. Whereas now it's like, you know, I watched Avenger, the first Avengers film I saw when I must have been, what, 26 or 27 or something. And yeah. I thought, oh, this is interesting. They're doing this. But if you were like 12, like imagine what that must have been like just it would have yeah yeah only a tiny brain out of your ears
1: <laughs> no no completely yeah I mean um, my kids have only ever known a world with Avengers yeah and yeah yeah they freaking love it as well
0: oh you mentioned but, your kids. can I ask you a question yeah. of course you can so my wife and I are trying for a kid now oh. I have a I have a very deep paranoia about how having kids will affect my creativity or the time that i put into it as someone who is both a creative and a father how how do you how do you manage that challenge
1: you've just got to find your way of doing it like you know i mean obviously for a while it's gonna take a while of just focusing like for the first couple of months saying it you know because probably little babies are hard work well yeah yeah but then just finding your a man. that's all it is just find your way to do it
0: i remember hearing tom york the from the singer from radio i'd say being a parent just sort of makes you less indulgent of your own time so he said rather than when you're 25 and he's trying to write a song he can just stay up till 3 a.m bashing at a piano or a guitar until he's figured it out Yeah. Whereas, it just makes your decision making faster because if you can only write songs from nine till five it just it makes yeah. you reach the the decision quicker than you otherwise would have
1: but at the same time you could take what he was saying as well like um use the time more wisely for example in the sense that you do you, you have more motivation to do the things that you are doing you know yeah like you want to use that time because you you've always got a purpose you know You've got a yeah. reason to do it which is one great thing about it
0: i think i'm just very selfish with my time so the idea that i have a kid <laughs> and to me although i look forward to the challenges and joys of parenting yeah it yeah. also fills me with dread like but how am i going to watch six films a week do four gigs record a podcast and then edit two promotional videos and <laughs> Realistically, I know well, I won't be able to do all those things, something will have to give, but it makes me unhappy that I have to give anything up ever.
1: Yeah, just include the kid, it'd be fine. Just use them as
0: a fr- they're free actors, it's fine. What I was thinking because I look, I, I do my podcast and I record it with my video phone, then I edit a promotional video. I could wear the baby like I'm in the hangover, there you go, and then I can pass it off as a film reference. Oh, it's like the hangover.
1: And just growing the beard as well because you were like a zombie at that point too so that yeah, will exactly. come at the time
0: and also like i probably would have let myself go physically by then so uh you know it, I'll, just, I'll just sort of become zach Galafinakis over the next couple of years it would only be
1: right to let yourself go yeah
0: yeah exactly yeah, but
1: i wish you would have looked with that though man it's, it is a cool thing uh to be trying to do though yeah
0: how many kids do you have
1: oh uh, i got two two boys
0: nice how old are they uh nine and six. Oh, that's good so they're kind of a, a yeah. i imagine they're well into their fun conversational period
1: yeah yeah they're both little people
0: because i worry that if i have a baby i won't be interested in it like i don't think i, I have this paranoia <laughs> yeah, that i won't care about my children until i can actually sit down and have a conversation with them
1: it, it sounds funny to say but that is a normal thing because i've got <laughs> yeah. a few mates that um have got kids as well and it's something i've said to them and yeah that's a normal thing guys have not evolved to get that natural (laughs) emotional connection we just haven't evolved like that like the hunter gatherers and all that you know yeah
0: because i think you know the maternal instinct is talked about but like i i i'm probably going to be like what's in this for me this baby's giving me nothing conversationally. <laughs> i'm bringing my conversational a-game to this six-month-year-old and it's given me nothing like like, doing like a getting gig- a puppy yeah like doing a gig yeah. in front of a cr- really non-responsive crowd like come on guys you've got to give me something give me someone to work with it's like doing a, doing an internet gig nowadays do you know what i've never done
1: one i don't blame you i so haven't have you, haven't
0: you done that tech- I've done a panel show that's all i've done oh okay yeah it sounds really bad like i'm prejudging internet gigs i'm sure there are some great ones but i mean it's
1: a fair thing to prejudge
0: well yeah with stand-up i mean i i'm not like an expert or anything but the the best signs of progress that i've made in the two years i've been in stand-up is by mm. getting is sort of is by getting closer to realizing it's all about where the room is and trying to figure yeah. out that and as a result, yeah. when, when online gigs came along, I just didn't really have any interest in it. Because I was just like, well, I'm worried that if I did online gigs, it would set me back two years as a comedian. Because when I started being a comedian, I was very much about, here's my script, and I'm yeah. going to read it to you. And yeah. if you watch early videos of me doing stand-up, it's like watching someone deliver a TED talk. It's very much about me hitting my marks. Whereas, if I you can watch, understand
1: that, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah whereas, yeah. I feel like I've got to a point now where, yeah, I have all the jokes I want to make, but but i will try and deal with awkward parts of the room and i worry if i did these online gigs i'd just go right back to where i was at the start reading a script and not giving a shit about what the response was
1: yeah yeah you've realized like that you need to hold some stuff back so you've got some stuff to interact with the crowd with a little bit or yeah yeah yeah. no i understand that that's one thing i've kind of noticed more now like one thing i tried to do recently which um like we said at the beginning, you know the fact we both had one gig that we thought was going to be the start of a new wave. Of <laughs> yeah. gig, but it was actually the start of a new wave of Corona. Yeah, exactly. which none of us saw coming at all.
0: Well, of none course. of us
1: saw none of us saw a second wave coming. <laughs> of
0: course, that wasn't obvious at all. I it did wasn't... that one. I did a gig, and then two days after the gig, the guy who ran the gig, who I should add, had gone to great length to make this gig covid safe for both the performers and the audience. He, he did such a good job. Yeah, well, he messaged cool, yeah. me two days after the gig to say, sorry, guys, I've got coronavirus oh. <laughs> so you all self-isolate for a fortnight. And it's like, oh my God, one gig in oh. seven months. And I know yeah. got COVID-19 from, it. I didn't in the end, but a testament to how well organized it was
1: with the, like the guy in the bar as well? but pardon. he the guy on the bar
0: as well uh no he he ran the gig and was the mc he'd booked oh okay okay got you yeah yeah you probably know i don't want to mention his name but i'm sure if you're a northern (laughs) comedian you will have gigged with him
1: okay yeah yeah um yeah let me know after then
0: oh i could type Uh, it into the private chat of this if you
1: want oh yeah go on i always forget that say you know but um what was i saying a second ago yeah but one thing I've tried to do with um oh yeah yeah I think I know that name actually um yeah one thing I've tried to do though with my set at the moment is try to include having it based around like one topic
0: or the podcast or the gig
1: oh a gig uh set my set you know oh yes yes, yes
0: yeah I think that's very wise I mean again like you go back to my first gig it's very much about me trying to stitch together lots of random bits but apparently you know industry people do say that you know if you can just take one subject and riff on it for five ten twenty minutes yeah, sign it, yeah you've really interrogated that subject for all the comedy gold you can mine from it yeah yeah so what's your comedy um, stuff about what do you talk about on stage
1: i I talk about anything i mean the general um like story that i go with through all of it is i just talking about my tiny tongue and my lisp i use my lisp you know as the general (laughs) things typing together oh yeah tiny
0: wow is that like a Mm. medical thing or is it just slightly too small
1: well it must be a medical thing it's definitely (laughs) a disability
0: Oh like, no! I just mean I have small, I have small, <laughs> tiny hands like Donald Trump, but I can't quite claim it's a disability. It's just, it's just I have slightly small hands.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's it's not like a proper finger that I know of anyway. I'm sure, I'm sure a list to be fair is a medical thing, but God knows anyway. No. Hey,
0: it hasn't held back Jonathan Ross, and it won't hold back you. Oh,
1: no, no, no. It, it, it's it's a unique selling point, if anything.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Ah oh, cool um, my stuff tends to be about family i have a slightly mm. dysfunctional a loving but dysfunctional family Best and, uh, without going into too much detail because some of it's quite dark some dark stuff's happened in my family so i sort of tend to talk about that on stage and make jokes about it yeah sort i'm of, a fan um,
1: of dark humor as well
0: yeah and so. or like sort of emotionally dark humor anyway like i don't want to be an edge yeah just talking about very dark stuff on stage i quite like that if you can present that in a funny and humorous way i'm quite a big fan of it i sort of in a weird yeah, way yeah.
1: you're on about covering like um dark or strong topics rather than just saying like something dark or you know like a bit edgy just for the sake of saying it
0: yeah like uh, like yeah. the difference between going oh i had a suicide in my family let's talk about that that not like me going on stage and going 9/11. do you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, somebody.
1: I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, my friend, yeah. Uh, I do have a friend. My friend, night. I do have a friend. No, <laughs> my friend Nigel. He often calls me a a reformed edge lord, because in private I am the kind of dickhead who will say things to shock people, but on oh, yeah, stage, we'll do I don't do it for some reason. I never have. and I don't know why. I think it's because. I don't like comedians that do it but i quite like it if you're in polite conversation to just suddenly say something to shock someone just yeah, to sort yeah. of, like, upset the apple cart a little bit
1: yeah that's your friend though isn't it like i understand that i think i'm quite similar to be fair and when you're on stage you care more about what you're saying like you think more about it
0: yeah exactly it's like mm. i don't know it sometimes feels like it would be too easy to do it on stage whereas i don't know uh just saying something to shock a friend in a sort of dull conversation, (laughs) especially if you know them really well. Um
1: that can be yeah yeah. But that is also at the same time though something you might lean on if you were gonna like just throw something in randomly in the middle of the set or you know react to something that someone says.
0: Yeah, maybe yeah.
1: And then it's got a bit more punch as well if you're not relying on it during uh the kind of stuff. But yeah Uh, you were talking about your stuff that you including anyway sorry.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, that's the kind of thing I like to do. Uh, I did, uh, I suppose, another good thing about doing emotionally dark stuff is it's quite, it's always interesting the idea of getting everyone on side before you go there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had this idea when I did my first Edinburgh show that, you know, there's a dead, you know, you know, there's that thing in Edinburgh of doing dead dad stories where you do a stand up routine about a loved one. And then right at the end of the show, you have this shock twist that they actually died
1: i to be honest i've never been to edinburgh i've only been doing it two years so i haven't like
0: done um, the
1: whole edinburgh thing so
0: yet. the comedian that's kane, just,
1: okay sorry, Go on. <laughs> no 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 i mean okay that's just a weird thing to do so yeah please well, well, let me well, Russell
0: know kane did it really well in his 2011 show smoke screens and castles and he won the perrier and then since then it's become this Thing like, oh, comedian's doing a dead dad show. That's original. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to just come straight out of the gate and reveal some really dark death that happened in your family, Mm -hmm. the real one? Mm -hmm. Like, because I have one in my family, and just saying that, and then seeing (laughs) if you can claw the audience back. But I think
1: I sort of made yeah, like giving yourself a challenge, or just going out and saying "fuck you all" and then doing
0: it. (laughs) But I think I made this slight mistake of like i do not have the skill to do that yet <laughs> do, do you know what i mean <laughs> it's like when you see like an open mic comedian trying to do some meta stuart lee stuff and it's like stuart lee will have learned to tell a joke before he started doing that meta stuff you can't just dive in with the meta stuff and yeah yeah i went the anyway weird... it's okay i'll just make one more point i went through this no. weird few months of like going around telling audiences that my brother had killed himself and then launching into this string of really dark jokes about suicide. And it got such a mixed reaction. Like it was just so half of the audience were laughing, and then half of them were just like, "What on earth is this guy doing?" And, and it was yeah, really, yeah. it was a really interesting lesson in the fact that you you just because it's my because it's my story i do have the right to tell those jokes but it doesn't necessarily mean the audience are going to be totally on board with it straight away so i sort of had to abandon that approach of just boom come out with it and then launch straight into silly jokes because it was a little bit too much you do have to you know you have to cast the fishing rod out and bring them in first before you start dropping those heavy bombs on them
1: I can imagine that um that would be something that would work quite well like online because when you were saying that like I think I have that kind of sense, oh well I know I have a dark sense of humour so I, I appreciate like anything that kind of goes a bit further than you expect. Yeah. Um, but a good thing about like you could do online stuff for, uh, about online stuff for example I could imagine it would work quite well if you saw like a reaction of the people not laughing or their faces because when you were talking about the people that didn't appreciate it, it okay. made me laugh just thinking about their reactions.
0: <laughs> Are you a bit of a masochist, then? You like that reaction? <laughs> I,
1: I suppose. I, I, to be fair, I've had a few people say that to me that I quite enjoy it, and I seem to quite enjoy it. And stage when um the, when the audience don't seem to get what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> is that because of your tiny tongue?
1: a uh, probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is interesting, like to what extent do you let go because ultimately not you can't have everyone like you especially if you're (laughs) i mean unless you're maybe unless you're trying to be like a a michael McIntyre style style comedian you know if you're trying to create something with flavor or something that's distinct people are going to dislike you i did a show at edinburgh where two people walked out at a bit that i was doing that was a little bit of a high wire act i was telling this story about how and this is a true story that i once had yeah i once had gastroenteritis and i had to get on a plane like a small plane and hmm. fly across europe and on the plane there was 30 orthodox jewish couples. and when, okay. the, when when the seatbelt light went off all the men stood up and they moved into the central aisle and started does that mean
1: they're all dressed in it in, in like Pardon? oh wait 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 no 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 hold on it D- doesn't matter I'm thinking So carry
0: on. <laughs> all these orthodox jewish guys stood up and started yeah. chatting in the central aisle of the plane and i i had gastroenteritis like i needed that one way i needed that aisle mm-hmm. to be clear <laughs> every single second in case i just suddenly had to go to the toilet and i basically do this stand up routine about how it's the closest in my life i've ever come to being anti-Semitic. And it's <laughs> like a little bit of a high wire act. I'm sort of talking about racism, but I'm also trying to juxtapose that self that with a funny story about how I nearly shot myself yeah, 30, yeah feet into the air. And during once in one show, two guys walked out, and I really felt bad. I was like, "Oh no, guys, c- c- guys! If you if you, you know you, you'll realize that it's it's going to be a happy ending. I'm not really a racist." <laughs> <But> <laughs> Were they I, walking
1: out for that reason? Do you think, though?
0: I've got no idea. I suspect, in retrospect, that they weren't liking the show anyway, and that was just the final straw. But the I don't know. at that
1: time, though, it might have been. But that's not yeah. a bad thing anyway. Like the anyway. fact if they got offended, I mean, yeah.
0: But anyway, my fr- a friend who was watching said, "You just have to keep doing your thing, just totally ignore it." And it was really good advice because it's like, you know, I'm not going to judge whether that bit worked or not. I think it probably had about a sixty percent hit rate and i don't think i'm a smart enough comedian yet to have figured out exactly what i was doing wrong with that bit but but she kind of yeah. was right
1: but you do have everyone's everyone's course. kind of more critical everyone's their biggest self-critic anyway aren't they but oh, it's, yeah. yeah it's good like especially with stand-up, to be fair to try and switch that up i can understand that because you can only be a self-critic once it's done and by then it's pointless and yeah you should just do your thing yeah and just not think about it. that's one thing i've learned as well to just do your things
0: it's, it's a very difficult thing isn't it because you've got to mm. stand up naturally if no one's laughing you are doing something wrong so it's weird you've got to figure out i think oh well, yeah
1: if no one's laughing yeah
0: but then at the same time you're right you have to do your own thing And at what point do you i know comedians who are almost too much doing their own thing because it's like they almost don't seem to care what the audience thinks but yeah not, yeah, well, yeah. They're not at a stewart lee level when they can manage that and i i don't know i think my my instincts as a young comedian is that i have to do a kind of comedy i like and try and get good at that and And i would only be truly selling out if i was trying to do comedy that i didn't like i don't yeah have i have that michael- same
1: kind of feeling to be honest yeah. that's similar to how i feel yeah because i i don't yeah. have
0: anything against michael mcintyre i just i just never watch her. it's just not i've just watched lots of alternative comedy i don't know about him if i tried to be like him i'd just be i'd be lying to myself do you know what i mean
1: yeah 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 like i i get the same thing with like just like we were saying earlier you know just saying something for the shock value of it you know yeah because so many people get in like doing that kind of thing and i get it as well but yeah yeah
0: having yeah. said that i did uh <laughs> i so i got one bit of material that is uh what you would call observational and it was originally written as part of that plain story where i just go off on an aside and start talking about how um your your bladder your pelvic floor only hang on i need to remember it's been so (laughs) good a gig i can't even remember my own material that's the only thing and we don't
1: realize how long it's been like i don't know if you feel the same it doesn't feel as long as it has been this year even yeah, exactly. though I've been locked down most of
0: it yeah exactly anyway I th- the yeah. bit is I think the bit is you only real you basically you realize that your bladder doesn't know the difference between sorry hang on I'm gonna start again <laughs> I'm gonna get this I'm gonna get this bit it's I believe in you sir after, it's only after a long car journey a long train journey or a long bus journey that your bladder slash pelvic floor realizes that you realize that your pelvic floor doesn't know the difference between being inside your bathroom at your toilet and simply seeing the front of your house <laughs> yeah you mean, like, because when you get home and when you see your front door your pelvic floor releases and it's thinks like, now we go to the bathroom yeah um, that originally <laughs> started out as an aside to that whole thing about being on a plane with gastroenteritis and i've sort of since like surgically removed it and it's like pure observational stuff and i really love yeah, having I mean, it in my arsenal because it's like it's like a fun thing to have if you're doing something weird and people aren't liking it you can just chuck in that bit you know what i mean it's like a nice little yeah. safety valve you can release every now and then yeah no
1: i know exactly what you mean man um it's like holding back like that bit of material that you know you've got there Yeah. um yeah it's 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 one of them things that you can't have until you've been doing it for a while and it's oh yeah so like, it's- I can't imagine how I don't know about you, but one issue I've always had is like just remembering the set and stuff. It's got easier as I've gone forward now and it's got in more and I've done a few techniques to try and do um try and a few techniques to try out to try and remember it and it's getting there a little bit. But I can't imagine how people would go for like 60 minute sets do it. I can't imagine that. It's
0: insane. I mean, I use I I use mind palaces. That's quite a useful way of doing it, where you know you put items in each room. But at the same time, I saw
1: saw that Sherlock Holmes
0: recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I got it. It's like you go through your room in your house, and I can still sort of remember mind palaces I had from my first gig. Like weird, abstract things, like oh, there was a bar, and there was three fish at it, and there was a condom at the end, and then there was a light switch. And I can't even remember what the jokes were but I sort of have this powerful memory of this bizarre room I constructed to knit together four jokes it's so weird okay that's, but, that's an interesting um, concept yeah but once you get into the rhythm of a gig like if you're really in the zone yeah that's when it becomes dangerous like um the gig I did last month I had a mind palace for it but when I came off stage I realized oh shit I missed like three or four good jokes there because because it was going well actually and it would have gone even better had i remembered them but it's a different yeah, yeah this goes back to the problem of not gigging in seven months it's like you're out of practice if i was gigging regularly maybe those jokes would have just come to me like that but it's very even professional commit i've heard richard herring say he doesn't feel he has several months off it's like he can't do stand-up at all he just gets yeah, on the stage yeah. and it's like he's like not going to the gym for six months the muscle that you need to do that exercise, to do that gig. It's not been flexed enough, you just, it's, uh yeah. you know.
1: And it's the nerves coming back as well. I've heard a lot of them say too. Yeah.
0: Like, it
1: was it's quite, quite nice to know that people that have been doing it for a while still get those nerves.
0: Absolutely. The comedian, John mm. Robbins, who won Nick Perrier a few years ago. I remember like two days before that gig, I was getting really nervous about my first gig in seven months. And I heard him on the radio say, I'm doing my gig first few mo- my first gig this year. And I'm, and he says it's like doing his first gig again. And I thought, yeah. God, if he feels that way, that makes me feel a lot easier. <laughs> makes me feel a lot happier about what I'm about to do. Who?
1: Um, because I've heard you mention a few names that, in all honesty, I I don't actually know. I recognise slightly the one name, Stuart Lee. I think you said. Yeah. But who your comedy influences, then?
0: I'm, I'm like, really if you had to pinpoint them down, I I am actually to be honest very much a sort of. uh like british like emotional storytellers guy so uh john robbins's show that he did in 2016 um his show was about it was about him breaking up with his girlfriend but it was also about how that sort of triggered a spiral of like depression and self-loathing which makes it sound not funny but it was really hilarious the way he did it and i just love. I've,
1: i've seen afterlife i understand it can be funny
0: yeah, exactly, and it's like I love people. It's like we were talking about with family stuff. Taking something really emotionally dark but making it silly and funny is like comedy gold, as far as I'm concerned. I really like Daniel Kitson. I really like uh Russell Kane, whose output in the last few years hasn't been great, but his show, Smoke Screens and Castles, is gonna have
1: a look at him because oh, it's not who I thought he was. I was thinking of who was I thinking of Russell? No, no, um, Russell Watson is he the Indian dude? Oh, maybe no he's not, is he? I can't think of his name, but um, Russell, something, but, but yeah, I don't know who you mean. Anyway, that, I like,
0: so. I basically like uh, male comedians who talk about their emotions. I mean, obviously, I love some female comics as well, but uh, I think just because I'm a guy, I just tend to gravitate more towards that point of view.
1: Well, yeah, this is the thing. People um like to make out that's a bad thing when you don't like mention, like, because apparently diversity nowadays means that you have to include certain numbers of certain people in each bunch. It's like if you have to do that and you're doing it out of um necessity, that's not real diversity in my eyes. It should be, you know, it's just open and everyone's in the same group, you know.
0: Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I, I the way I view it is. You know if, if it has half the country are women but you're having comedy lineups that have got no women on it just feel like there is something wrong there so i don't oh, think yeah 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 i, I, don't, say, think, yeah. I don't think i don't think it's like tokenism to to include women on these lineups or even i, I kind of went more
1: to race then to be fair without even sure, yeah. to yeah yeah
0: but I, don't know, I was just coming at it from more of a like personal point of view which is yeah like, but, but this is why you need diversity because as a male comedian I'm very well served as a white male comedian I'm very well served in terms of cultural output of things that are there primarily for me to enjoy um uh and that's why you know you do need a bit more diversity in the comedy scene because uh people m- might not be hearing voices that they recognize and I love a lot of those comedians yeah. but it's I've just, been just with the male one because though. I'm a white male comedian my favorite comedians are all white male comedians because that's what we- I relate to yeah
1: which just makes perfect sense i mean that's just a fair thing anyone that says like you have to like certain ones yeah it's completely fair but i mean um it's not a lie to say that there's less um women in comedy you know it's just a statistic there are less women in comedy
0: yeah but is Um, that because then is that because the bar is that because the the barriers are close to the mentoring or do you reckon it's because they're less interested in comedy
1: I mean, the only people that could answer it are them, like the people that, are, that don't want to do comedy. I guess for some reason, yeah, it's just women are just less interested in comedy.
0: Just so mean, it turns
1: out that way, anyway.
0: I don't know. I mean, it's. An, I'd be surprised if that was true. I, I do sometimes wonder with because film directing, going back to movies, film directing—that's the thing where women have been historically underrepresented. And again, yeah, yeah, is it just that men are more into the power trip of? having a megaphone and standing in front of 100 people <laughs> and yelling at them and telling them what to do um it could make sense yeah i mean it could it could just be the case that like more men are interested in that role having said that i can see we've evolved that way yeah having said that i don't you know there was a point where like only four percent of directors were women that just seems like it's way too much through the way do you know what i mean you know what's the yeah. correct number it should be is it 30 percent? is it 40 percent? is it 50 percent? i don't know but when it's four percent you know it's wrong and when it's yeah like yeah exactly 10 yeah, comedians on a yeah. Lineup and they're all men you know that's wrong as well Something's yeah wrong.
1: yeah no no you're right to be fair when you put it in that sense as well which is obviously true yeah, yeah. um yeah yeah um but i mean i can imagine especially with a film company and went with directors like you said i could imagine that the old-timey kind of feeling of them just preferring male directors i wouldn't be as surprised if that still you know goes on in hollywood and all that not so much in comedy because comedy is way too varied for that to be a thing now comedy is way too big of a thing and it's in you know it's it's too separate it's not one thing
0: maybe i don't know well we'll i mean i don't think as a male comedian who's only been doing it two years i'm trying i'm probably not hugely qualified to talk about it there's a oh. i'm sure there's people who've got a, a much more informed perspective on it again john robbins mm-hmm. the comedian that i mentioned earlier on his podcast ladies with another comedian called ellis james they've both dated high profile female comedians that long-term relationships and they all often talk about how it has given them an insight into the sort of horrors women have to face in terms of yeah yeah barriers to entry and what's kind of expected of them. one thing i will say is like
1: i can imagine there's a whole different waft of barriers and yeah different things they have to mess yeah
0: one thing you've been a woman
1: in general as well
0: yeah one yeah, thing yeah, i will sorry. say that I feel fairly confident on is that i think one of the problems with comedy that women face because a lot of women talk about sexual harassment horror stories you have in the comedy industry which and is what i'm about to say my
1: mind went, yeah
0: yeah what i'm about to say is not meant to excuse that but because comedy is in bars, it's in pubs, it's in clubs. I think a lot of comedians and club owners will probably forget that it's supposed to be a professional environment and that, you know, basically two comedians and an MC and a promoter are effectively in their office when you're at a gig. But because yeah, yeah. it's in the same environment that you would usually socialize and get drunk in and make sexual advances in I think people do forget themselves. Again, that's not an excuse. I just think it's maybe part of the mindset of why uh so many men do behave yeah. ill towards women in these circumstances.
1: It's it's more about like the bars and that in general, just like there should be more of a understanding in general in society and in these places that you know like that kind of stuff, no, not yeah, sexual advances, because sexual advances aren't a bad thing. People kind of make They're sexual advances out like, to be a no. I know when weren't, you weren't, but people kind of made that out. But um, yeah, like the unwanted ones, obviously, you just need like some security there and stuff, which
0: would you be good. in your office, they were had a they were serving pints on tap, and you were drinking a couple of pints every couple of hours, and you know they were serving nuts and crisps and there was some music blaring bangers <laughs> classic bangers. And your
1: boss was doing it as well.
0: yeah exactly and this was in your office and there was attractive women around at some point you you might start cracking on to your colleagues in an <laughs> Ill- in an ill-advised way that's uh, i, way I you worked to... in
1: an office i've been in a christmas party i've had a fun night i understand
0: <laughs> yeah exactly Oof. Well, you know, Christmas parties. I mean, that's a whole other thing. I think because everyone has it really been, is everyone has been bottling up all that sexual tension for twelve months, and then suddenly it all gets released at the Christmas party, and everyone's banging, yeah. Everyone's finger blasting, and then <laughs> allowed to, the like
1: to give in to indulgences in on Christmas, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah,
1: yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, with that, I'm not going <laughs> to say anything else because I get in trouble.
0: <laughs> well maybe we will although actually i should go th- th- you raise an interesting thing there one thing i'm trying to do on my podcast is mm. i mean I-, I i think i'm fairly woke although i say that hesitantly because i think the word has become a- is used in different ways by either proponents of it or critics. yeah so yeah yeah sort of lost its original meaning which actually yeah. to be fair, the original meaning which is to do with black American consciousness wouldn't apply to me anyway. I think I'd like to think I'm fairly woke,
1: but- I think this kind of thing is true with most things. Most things have lost their original meaning. Yeah, exactly. when most Yeah, most things go through that, go on.
0: Um, but I think, even though I think I'm fairly woke, I also think, I think there's more room to talk about subjects in an irreverent way than it's perhaps, perhaps been given credit for by some woke people. I'm not saying that as mm-hmm. criticism of them, I just think you don't always have to tread on eggshells if you're confident about the point you're trying to convey. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You so like know, last
0: week on my podcast, I was talking about Black Panther and I accidentally said, oh, Black Panther, the first big black superhero. <laughs> and then I immediately <laughs> thought to myself, that doesn't sound like the most politically correct thing, but because I was fully aware that, I just accidentally misphrased, saying he was the first black superhero. But, yeah, to you mean like mainstream? People. You mean I just the, left the mainstream
1: the black it. superhero? I know yeah. what you meant. Yeah,
0: I just left it in the edit because I thought that's like a slightly irreverent way of putting it. But most people, I think, would either be surprised by it, but also understand what I thought I was trying to say. So yeah, I always yeah, I get it, what you meant. There's, there's room. I, there's room to be irreverent on these things, but now. Necessarily always worrying that you've like insulted everyone by doing so. Um, that's my yeah. No, I
1: always like to think like that. I try to unedit my podcast as much as possible and try to take as little out, unless like the person I'm interviewing, um, that I'm talking with, not in the interview, um, wants something in particular taken out that I didn't say, which would surprise you. The things that comedians want taken out, it's not (laughs) at all the stuff you would think. What do they want taking out? down to politics and stuff a lot of the time not out of boredom just out of like their opinion on it or their understanding or lack of understanding of it
0: yeah i mean it's, yeah, it's interesting. on my on my podcast i'm trying not to i don't know i'm trying not to make it too much what my opinions are and i'm trying to make it more about use it as i said earlier using it as a springboard to just talk about things that just to be funny to be irreverent and all that kind of stuff yeah. Because I'm a bit paranoid, like isn't everyone's podcast just them saying their opinions. But having said that, I've become a bit concerned lately. Maybe people do want you to say your opinions. Otherwise, if you're not, maybe you're not putting enough of your own personality into it. One yeah, thing I've noticed you can do both though. With, yeah. One thing I've noticed yeah. with like young comedians, <laughs> I don't know how old you are, but young 20 something comedians who seem to be absolutely smashing social media they're really like wearing their personality on their sleeves do you know what i mean just yeah yeah loading stories of themselves reels of themselves yeah tick tock and it's not me I, yeah I'm, i think i'm like a 35 year old twitter user who's not quite who's not quite got the hang of like just putting your yeah. personality out there constantly
1: i i understand what you mean completely like i'm 29 so i'm kind of in the middle i guess of the two generations um so i i like to think i'm very open and very myself like on social media and stuff i like to just not think about what i'm putting up just be myself you know say something stupid generally go on a random tangent um but i have to kind of force myself to keep doing it i don't like to keep posting stuff yeah. it's not natural to me to keep doing it
0: day
1: unless it's work stuff like i've been making a lot of stuff lately so i can do it for that like making videos making podcasts i've got like a retro gaming thing at the moment like a true crime podcast got the quiz that i do every other wednesday that kind of stuff i can do but just being myself i
0: don't know i think i think i'm just having an early midlife crisis where i worry i feel like
1: i've been through that yeah
0: even though you're only 29 and you've already had one yeah
1: two kids though you know like it makes sense that it could happen earlier Exactly. Okay, sorry.
0: But I don't know. I worry that um, because people say, "Oh," and I don't know how true this is. People say when they're looking for new comedians, they, the industry, they want to see the whole package. They the want to see day. It, that you're smashing it on social media, that you're smashing it at gigs, and I really hope it's not true because I don't know how to smash it on social media. I see these people wearing the, uploading four videos, four stories of themselves a day on talking on Instagram and i just it's it, i can't be asked to do it yeah and yeah so not in my you know about more like,
1: like when we were gigging as well
0: yeah exactly yeah. one guy i know and he's a nice guy he's really confident he's a slick comedian when he does a gig there'll be like 15 stories of him on on the way to the gig a video of him doing the gig a video of yeah. two of the people on the gig making everyone laugh a video of him on the tube home going oh well, that gig went quite well yeah and i think like it's probably very engaging for his followers to see get such an insight into his life but if i'm on a tube yeah i want to read a book <laughs> that's who i am yeah i'm not gonna no, make I, a video of me you know reading a book because i think that would be boring for people i
1: completely agree i, I don't think it's so much going to be boring for people because i think it sounds like me and you are very very similar because when I, i'm not social i'm social. once i'm in the situation i'm very social and enjoy being social and i'm decent at it um especially in person more than anything um but in general i prefer to just sit down like you said read a book watch <laughs> something to myself you know get a bit high chill out that's my thing but um i think it's probably being a social person makes it easier to do the kind of social media things in the name you know um yeah. Yeah, I don't have that in me either. So I completely agree. I, completely I mean, that's why
0: I do it. my podcast and I, I edit clips, and splice in movie clips, and I put that online because to me yeah. that feels like, oh, like I've created a little thing there, and it's sort of close to what those guys I was talking about were doing, but at the same time, those guys, because it's a much more informal, loose way they're doing it. They can put out they can pump out so much of it. Whereas with me, it's like if I want to post a th- like a. 90 second video of myself talking. I feel I've got to put loads of bells and whistles on it to make it work. I've got to like put in like a tag at the front, splice yeah. some video stuff in, um, put a score on. It. I literally put a score on, it. I put like classical music on some of this stuff <laughs> because, and maybe in now a, it depends, man. it could work, yeah. I think I'm not interesting enough. I've got to put Bark playing the piano on my thing <laughs> for it to be worthwhile to someone. And I wish I had the confidence from these young guys to just be like, oh, here's me eating my breakfast, thinking about a gig. I almost wish I had the balls to do that, but I don't. I'm like, guys, get me some classical music because people are not going to be interested in A Dog reading a book yeah. on YouTube.
1: You know, one thing I've learned, though, like from podcasting more than anything, because i like, talking a lot about comedy. So, talking to a lot of comedians, everyone is unconfident in their own way. Yes, like very much so. So, I know what you mean, like, just putting the bells and whistles on there. I, I, I love editing, so I'm a big editor, so I just do it naturally. But I think every comedian's got that little bit of, like, self... Like, we have... So, we, we, what would be a good way to explain it? We're like a um, Cadbury's cream egg, in the sense. <laughs> but with a really small centre. Whatever chocolate has a really small centre. So we've got a lot of the chocolate, which is self-doubt. And then right in the middle, there's this <laughs> tiny, this tiny little... Um, cream, cream of confidence. Yeah, this cream of an absolute self-confidence that is undying. You know, just undying and just just there.
0: I did a gig recently where I, I went really well. What well, was the gig I talked about? It went really well, and I was really going out of my way to because the room was the one just awkward. before the second lockdown. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. room was a little bit awkward. It was like a new night. It was a working class club kind of thing. It was it was not a crowd that we used to seeing live comedy and they were a bit chatty and unruly it wasn't the worst crowd ever but they were yeah. a little bit heckly and a little bit chatty so when i went on stage i made a real effort to like be big be loud go to the parts of the room that were being unruly chat to them incorporate them into my set it was quite a lot of effort and i remember when i came off stage my friend who was watching said like I wish you were like more like that all the time <laughs> that would be so tiring if I was constantly trying to manage the room it would be absolutely yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like you're putting on a performance isn't it
0: yeah exactly I like to think like well, I am be, being yeah. rude, but I'm being like a more exaggerated focused version of me that's how I like to think about it
1: yeah like I, I love wrestling and I think about it like I do with wrestling um they say with like your wrestling the best kind of wrestling gimmicks are your own personality turned up to 11. yeah and exactly. it's, yeah it's the same with comedy i always wanted to be a wrestler and I, I thought like as i got older like this wasn't any reason why i became a comedian but i suddenly realized at one point so like, hold on i am kind of now a wrestler just a wrestler without the potentially breaking their neck i'm still doing the promos chatting poof you know just without the
0: breaking my neck part. But you do it's walk good. on stage at the beginning of every gig and so and say can you smell what kd is cooking
1: i have to do it None then
0: and for the record i used a 25 year old out of date wrestling reference there because that's the last <laughs> time i watched wrestling was 25 years ago
1: <laughs> that's not 25 years ago don't age yourself that much sir that i was 20 was about... years
0: ago, Ed, 20 years ago. <laughs> i was yeah, exaggerating comic years. Effect. yeah
1: i'd say about
0: 15 years ago to be fair fair enough yeah before, said, i remember one thing my dad said he was watching the rock do wrestling and my dad said that guy's going to be a yeah he said that dad's sorry he said, my dad said that guy's going to be a really famous actor and i went and i was like a pretentious file, even at 15 and i was like why yeah. and he went look at him just look at him he's just it's just acting it's just pure charisma and he was totally right he's like yeah, the most the now
1: now he completely called it in that case it's crazy isn't it how he's became like the probably arguably the biggest would you say the biggest actor in the well, world i think
0: by money he is the he's consistently the the top money makers and i'm pretty sure a couple of the last years he has been the highest grossing guy because he well he's in the fast and furious films, which to massive and he's just had yeah, the other other film now which is like Juman, the both jumanji films were massive so just by pure money making, he is the biggest star on the planet currently standing. Yeah, and this I, is an just... age where it's less about because back in the nineties, you had actors like Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Meg Ryan, Will Smith, who they were the draw. But that's not true anymore. The yeah. draw is the franchise. That's the big thing. But The Rock does stand slightly apart as being someone who seemed to have enough charisma and star power to open a film.
1: Yeah. You do you do have some some um which are basically looked like as like franchise not starters but arguably franchise starters of Voldo because even The Rock you could argue that oh basically it is you know like from the fifth Fast Five onwards it's a whole different kind of film. Oh,
0: yeah. I only yeah. started watching those films once he showed up in them.
1: Yeah, I think that was Fast Five, wasn't it? Yeah, no, Any he was. Bit. That
0: was the first one with The
1: Rock. Yeah, yeah, but um yeah they all focus now and you get a few people that you know like so there's the rock i mean just looking at the highest growth i was looking at the highest growth in 2019 um and the rock was tough chris hensworth he's another one Robert danny jr um chris evans down the bottom adam sandler used to be one of them but he's kind of i still like adam sandler but he's obviously gone way down now
0: but he has a deal with netflix so yeah it's hard to chart how how big his films are now apparently they are big like hits for netflix but one thing that i slightly miss is with with theatrical box office you can really quantify what is successful culturally because you can literally say what was the highest grossing films of 1984. And it's like right it was beverly hills cop it was ghostbusters it was indiana jones and the temple of doom now yeah yeah, yeah. In streaming, it's harder to quantify because a lot of those streaming giants like Amazon Prime and Netflix, they're really cagey and selective about what they release ratings wise. And I think it's a bit of a problem. I can bring this back to comedy. Like, how are you supposed to know what your commercial worth is as an artist if people aren't releasing the figures? So, like, take James Acaster, for example. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, we know we know he's pretty big, but you know if he if he could actively say my netflix special got two million views on open weekend that could increase say his asking price for gigs do you know what i mean but yeah. i don't think he can do that because he can't point to anything because it's secret it's like in a file at netflix hq and i think that's a i don't think that's good i think people should know what their commercial worth is yeah i mean i mean they get
1: like in regards to films, you do like test screenings and stuff, so that would kind of like act as that. And with comedy, um, I, I get what you mean, but you kind of get like you build up your set anyway, don't you? So you've kind of gone through all that before you get to doing your um
0: No, but I'm not talking about artistic. Work. I'm talking about your commercial worth. So like Chris Hemsworth, uh, you know, he or you know, Adam Sandler, I'll go back to Adam Sandler. Like yeah. presumably net okay, here's here's what I mean presumably Adam Sandler is like a big draw for Netflix, right? They know if he's getting the viewers or not. They know if- Yeah, yeah,
1: movie, be They know if yeah. movie
0: Halloween gets a million or 10 million viewers, <laughs> but he might not know that. And how's he supposed to know what his leverage is? That's what I mean. So James yeah. Ocaster, you know, if he wants to go to, say he wants to play Netflix off Amazon Prime, how is he supposed to do it? How does he How does he know what his net worth it? How get Amazon know how many viewers his netflix special got that, yeah. that's my point. whereas yeah. in the 90s you know
1: and you've got to compare it to how many people are um, subscribed as well
0: exactly. which i can
1: imagine they probably don't give out those numbers too exactly
0: and whereas like mm-hmm. in the 90s you know eddie Izzard could just basically say well you know i sold a million dvd sale copies of glorious and therefore that's or his work view, yeah so he can that prices him effectively i just think yeah, yeah. It's, very, it's very difficult to gauge i think
1: I mean, the only way I guess, well, I suppose the the way you could class it would be if they said like, however many downloads slash streams or something, but that would still include everyone putting their, um, you know, their amounts together, and that's not going to happen with these kind of companies.
0: That's the thing with Netflix know that figure, but Acaster doesn't. That's 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 the issue.
1: Yeah, yeah, I could imagine them
0: telling. Well, I could definitely imagine them telling them
1: if they're going badly. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Well, I suppose if they re don't rehire you, you know, presumably because Dave Chappelle keeps having specials released, he they must be big hits. Whereas well I saw so recently that he got something removed again. Yeah, he basically it turned out that Netflix had the rights to his old Chappelle show, but he wasn't making any money from it. They just sort of acquired oh. it, and he wasn't happy. So he said, Can you take that down? And they said, Yeah. And that's presumably because they value their relationship with him because he's a big draw yeah yeah whereas
1: that's fair enough though really yeah
0: if you're not
1: going to make any money off it then yeah fair enough
0: but then that's just about again that's about he he has star power there was someone pointed out that michaela cole took her tv show i may destroy you to the bbc because netflix wouldn't let her have like a tiny percentage of the control rights to it so she just went to bbc but again that's because she's nowhere near as famous as Chapelle, so yeah you can't control over them maybe it's one fine. day as well who
1: knows i swear there was um i can't remember who it was like we were talking about um some of like the equal stuff you know with men and women for example in actors and um with actors and ass um i can't remember who it was i think it was i don't know but um someone was talking about there was a top earning like a high-end actor and one of the um supporting actors actresses actors forever um and she was saying that she felt she should have got paid the same amount as him because of equal pay you know men and women equal pay and all that which obviously for most jobs that makes sense but the thing is they're missing here which the interviewer um the podcast at the time brought up um is that they're not the same thing like you know one of them ignoring the fact that they're wants the support and ones like the main act like it's all about how big they are which is exactly what you were saying
0: yeah it's gonna be tricky this so a good example of this is um claire foy played the queen in the crown who is the main character in the crown but yeah matt smith who was playing her husband got paid loads more but the thing is yeah. at the time i actually have some sympathy for netflix here because at the time matt flicks Matt's and flick. Matt Smith, <laughs> was the bigger star, because he was Doctor Who. So he, exactly, he, it makes sense.
1: So I remember he, this.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he, I actually think, yeah. I mean, there was a more egregious example, I think, where Jennifer Lawrence got paid lots less than her co leads in American Hustle, the film with Christian Bale, and and that seems a bit more egregious because it's like, well, she's in the Hunger Games. That's as big as Batman. Um. So yeah. So I, I think there is an issue with it. Uh, in terms of whether yeah. we get paid but i know what you mean sometimes it's not yeah, necessarily yeah. a sexist thing it's just it's just simply matt smith's more famous so he gets paid more um,
1: and i suppose when it comes down to it as well they go it's um more to do with like their agents or whatever isn't it with the acting stuff
0: exactly and if i can make a con a potentially controversial statement um, and
1: <laughs> so celebrities it, do love making a controversial statement <laughs>
0: so. a, it, 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 is, it is documented that women Tend to make more um, logical decisions in terms of pay demand, whereas men tend to just be more fucking ballsy. So men tend to be a bit more like, "I'm just going to ask for 10k more than the asking price here." So then, when they meet them halfway, they get more. Whereas women are a bit more like, "I'll add a couple of thousand on because that makes sense." And some of the, sense. some of the, so just let me finish some point. Some of it of that pay gap is because of that. Not all of it. I'm not. Some of it probably is to do with the difficult decisions women have to make in terms of uh choosing to raise kids or have parents but i do think in some cases like i often say to female friends and to my wife like just ask for more and all they can do is say no and you and best case now you yeah. might be getting a bit more money out of it yeah
1: um yeah i know what you mean but it's it's just like um it's just well that wasn't a generalization sorry but um it's just one of the things only a lot of people are different than that but some general generalizations are there because they're kind of true like you know they have some routine yeah it's kind of true
0: yeah maybe i don't know maybe yeah. i mean again i'm not an expert on this i just i just have i have oh? read that i have read that like that kind of is a thing about um, men's. I had a mate who used to do it. He was like 25. Mm. And every time he went for a job interview, he'd pretty much just add five or six K on. And he would say to me, he would sometimes get laughed out of the room because they'd be like, why are you barely out of uni? Why are you doing <laughs> yeah, jobs yeah. for six months and then going to interviews and asking for this extortionate money? But the fact is mm, he was yeah. way more than anyone I knew by the age of 30. And it's because of this ballsy, You know go into the interview room and put your dick on the table attitude you have to a salary (laughs) negotiation
1: um i used to work like in a proper office like i hated working in an office like it's soul draining Like it's purely soul draining and a call center and financial difficulties and all credit and all that kind of stuff but i had someone that i knew that um worked there too and he applied for a job higher up and he was in no way qualified for it not at all um but he had the interview in that and he just blagged it the whole way through. Do you know who Paul Heyman is? No. And, oh, he's like a wrestling manager person, but he just like he's a really smug person. Like imagine like Ricky Gervais, is really smug when he wants to be, you know. And he was just, he said he was just doing that for the whole interview. And then at the end I were like, Do you have any questions? And he was like, Yeah, when do I start? Like <laughs> as cliche as it sounds you know but
0: yeah it's the ballsiness and that could it could go one of two ways it could be like it worked what a dick or they could be like i love it this guy's got hutch bar kutch bar whatever the word. it worked
1: man yeah yeah, it worked though he got him like a good paying job
0: yeah no fair play to him Um, i've always thought i think i'm one of those people that's better at interviews than i am at doing jobs um
1: yeah i agree I uh,
0: i got promoted really quickly in my last job and into like a managerial role um and i never thought i was one of the best people at doing that job <laughs> but i just think i'm just one of those guys that's quite good at confidently expressing myself in an interview scenario for some reason it doesn't make me nervous i quite enjoy the challenge of it Um yeah
1: it's something to trans i mean i i appreciate that as well it's quite similar to um it's something that kind of transitions well into comedy i never really thought about it before until you said it but it- Oh, until you were saying that then but yeah it, it makes a lot of sense on this because we yeah. are literally and in the interview you're talking yourself up you're showing off a little bit yeah um on stage we're doing the exact same thing just turned up a bit more
0: one thing that i'm trying to work on is for some reason so i i mc a gig in london for 18 months before i came up here and mm. um i found it really hard to get out of my own head when i mc in a way that i didn't when i was doing my own stuff and i think it's because i put this pressure on myself to be like ah the mc has to be witty they have to have good comebacks I, what do you what kind of how in your head do you mean then i just mean i think i just needed to let go and enjoy the conversation with the audience as if it was a normal conversation and then if something funny came out of that fine whereas i was being a bit like like literally thinking what's a funny thing i could say here yeah is, is yeah, like, yeah not good like i've never thought that in this conversation with you i've just tried to have a natural chat and yeah I think forgetting that it's
1: just Sorry, forgetting that it's just sometimes just talking and then you're just kind of funny as you say it you know
0: exactly we had um we were quite lucky in that we got some fairly big names to come down to that gig and i remember once have you ever seen the comedian Man? no but it sounds familiar Abandoned man then, is an Irish rapper who basically oh. <laughs> improvises rap when he performs, but it's worth pointing out. This guy is not I like some, him really. Yeah. This guy is not some like shit eighties rapper. Who's like, I was walking down the street, looking at <laughs> the guy has really modern fast, like slick flow. Yeah. and he, he does just mad stuff. Like he'll get everyone to hold something up from their pocket. And he'll go around the room rapping about all the items that are up he's absolutely okay. amazing the way his mind works so fast is insane and before he did he was in edinburgh preview and i he was like i was like oh i'll introduce you and he was just like he's really like he's very cool the way he talked he was like yeah man just you get up there and you do your thing you work your magic <laughs> i just really <laughs> like i Super really just like burst out crying and be like mm. hey i have no magic i'm not you for god's sake <laughs> and that's what i mean when i say i'm in my own head when i am I really struggle for just yeah. lock into a natural flow yeah. and i'm hoping yeah. i'm hoping actually having seven months to a year off might reset like a lot of my own um sort of bad habits in a weird way like that gig yeah. i did a few months ago went quite uh, last month went quite well because i actually yeah. went into it I'd sort of let go of my hang-ups, hangups. I was really like, just go on that stage. Aiden, and if there's awkward people in the room, just go and deal with them, talk to them directly, incorporate yeah. them into the set. And it wasn't the best gig I've ever done, but it went well for, for that reason. And sometimes actually having a lot of time off can be good because it, it can allow you to break out of your old habits.
1: Yeah. That's what I've been thinking of I've been, um, hoping the same kind of thing i feel like me and you are very much at the same um kind of point from everything we've been talking about uh oh, you've been going a couple of years
0: i've only been going two years myself
1: oh yeah yeah and everything you're saying more than anything though like you know um i'm been trying to do well i was trying to focus more on MCing because everyone says that MCing is something that just helps you a lot as a comedian anyway because you build up the naturalness you know like you were saying being able to work with the crowd and all that um, but yeah you just get in your own head and just in general it's a really good thing to try and get away from it's just letting go not thinking about it all but it's just not easy to do you have to like constantly remind yourself don't you
0: yeah and exactly and going back to what we're saying about it's always refreshing when you see a more experienced better comedian you having the same issue there's a guy yeah. in the circuit who's really slick and I remember he came off stage at angel comedy it was his first time emceeing seeing angel comedy and he said oh, i gotta get out of my own head but i just keep having the words angel comedy ring through my head like he was couldn't believe he was emceeing this big night so therefore yeah, he was yeah. struggling to just be himself and it was refreshing went, oh if that guy's having an issue i don't have to feel as bad that i would oh, go through you. this fucking nightmare of in a monologue every single time i didn't emceeing seeing which was it annoyingly, every single Monday because it was a weekly gig, yeah. Yeah, I, I was though it's great, like, yeah, there, there's no way I would have got 18 months of... say
1: that again. Sorry, I... I cut out no bit.
0: I was just saying, like, running your own gig is quite a good thing to do. Like, there's no way I would have got 18 months of solid MCing experience from anyone else in London, yeah, just setting up your own gig. And then I just knew every Monday I'd have either a guaranteed 10-minute slot or a guaranteed MCing slot. Um, I mean it was a bit of work because you've got to promote the night, but I mean Um, it's one of the best things I've done comedically in terms of uh my craft.
1: I understand completely. Um that's why this podcast started, or did was the podcast first? I can't remember which was first, but there's the in your pub comedy night as well that I used to do. Um obviously before everything, which I'm going to do again after the vaccine. Are you planning to carry it back on as well after the vaccine? Because it is um, really good as well. Like it's, it's, a, it's nice as well. Same thing with the podcast. You get to meet a lot of comics. You get to be quite active in the scene. So I feel like I've been very active, going off topic a bit, um, I feel like I've been very active in the scene during lockdown. Probably more so than before, which is well, not active, but more social i guess is a better way to put it not more social but maybe as social
0: yeah i don't know i mean i was kind of i was i think we're breaking up slightly
1: yeah yeah
0: hello um are you you asking if i would are you asking if i would start a gig again when i go back after lockdown
1: yeah what are you planning yeah have you have you got any plans to start a gig again
0: no, i don't think so i think like because because of that gig in london that i did was every single week for 18 months hmm. it's quite it just absorb a lot of your time promoting it doing the social media so i was actually kind of looking forward to just doing my own thing again the, the, what i might do though is because we had some big names on at that gig like tony law abandon man john kearns i do have a bit of a rolodex of like talent on <laughs> yeah. my phone so, I, what I might do is, I'd be tempted next summer to do previews of high profile acts in sort of North Yorkshire. Because if I could get like a big act, a big name to come and do an hour at some like tryout room in London, like preview a show, that might be like a good way of like splitting the difference, doing some MC, uh, yeah. doing something worthwhile. Thursday, so, what's that actually mean when you say a preview? Comb- like a preview for an Edinburgh show, like where a comedian. We'll do an, an hour show of just trying out new material. Like one good thing with the oh, night okay. was we got big More names pre-form. because, yeah, because so some yeah. big names kind of just want a quiet room with thirty people in that they can try out some new stuff on without being yeah. judged on it. And Yeah, yeah. No that way was just, it was just quite a, Yeah, it was quite a fun way of meeting top talent. And uh, just getting something mutually beneficial out of it. I think some people in London thought I was pro <laughs> because I would occasionally post a picture of a gig with me and Tony Law, but it wasn't that I was as good as Tony Law, it's just that I somehow <laughs> convinced Tony Law to come down to my shitty night <laughs> and do a 20 minute set. Do you know what I mean? Uh,
1: that that was the gig that I did just before lockdown was my first pro line off gig. Um oh, nice one, well done. Thank you. Yeah, it was really much different. Well, no, no it, it felt like well, yeah, yeah. I, I felt like you know I had to make everything tighter and stuff. I was doing like the newbie slot with the five minutes on it, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I felt like everything had to be tight. So yeah, but um, I forgot. I was going to say something then tell you what were you saying before that part again.
0: Oh, I was just talking about my night and doing hour previews and maybe starting a preview night for big names to come up and and do stuff I don't know I was sort of riffing on the idea of starting and writing Leeds yeah
1: um oh is it Leeds then like, is that East Midlands is it am
0: I right in thinking that uh, Leeds is is North York, is it... it's a uh, West Yorkshire
1: yeah my my geography is absolutely terrible man
0: <laughs> I was gonna say if you but, don't know what Leeds is it's basically smack bang in the middle of the it's like sort of parallel with Manchester but in the middle yeah like in between remember, Manchester and Hull
1: I remember what I was gonna say now um don't you think it's weird like because we were talking about and i'm sure funny saying but i can imagine you probably did the same thing when you was when you decided to get into comedy you probably like you'd listen to a lot of stuff just like ingest everything comedy listen to a lot of like podcasts and interviews with comedians and all that kind of stuff and um yeah. like we're kind of the first generation of comedians i imagine that kind of had to deal with the fact of social media and the fact of i think a lot more of us are in our own heads and worried about what we say just because it's so easy it doesn't just disappear in the room on that night it doesn't disappear into that night anymore we can be recorded can be put online you know what i mean it can come up 20 years later
0: I think one interesting thing that's emerging because i mean that's something that affects everyone everyone mm. has to now live with some like i'm so glad that i didn't have twitter when i was 16 because i would definitely have been cancelled by now because i was saying all sorts of horrendous <laughs> shit back then um, and yeah. i think uh in terms of comedy i think one big thing is there's no if you're really famous there's no such thing as trying out new material anymore so like louis ck whatever you think of louis ck like he did a he did a, a warm-up show where he was trying out new material last year. Someone recorded the whole thing. And yeah, put it online. yeah. And then he got like ripped apart for certain jokes he was doing. And I just think he, that's the reason you do those gigs, is you're trying to figure out. Like, I've done jokes where I. And it's as well. Know, yeah. I'm not sure. If, I've done shows where it's like, I'm not sure if this joke is irreverent or if it's offensive is it walking the line enough or whatever but you do it live and the audience tells you if it's if you if you have gone too far yeah but you can't and, do that if you're famous
1: yeah and most things like you know if it's going to offend someone or if it could offend someone sorry it's um there's a word for it and it's escaped me um it depends you know different people could be offended by different things so it's not like the same it shouldn't be the same for everyone anyway so i've never fully got that anyway why everyone would be offended by one thing but yeah like you said the it depends on the room some rooms are just let care a lot less which is one great thing about um if you get the chance to come to the holly bush after the lockdown which is kind of the midlands hub um for comedy but at the same time it's one of those places that you know if you can deal there you can deal in most places
0: you know that's good. you yeah, have to I, work hard the challenge you know. of that I think that's yeah, where yeah. I'm trying to be now is one of the problems in London is there's so many bringer open mic gigs where you have to bring a friend to do it you end up performing to friendly crowds and I I only yeah. started to get I only started to get like green shoots of interest from like professional promoters once I stopped doing open mic gigs and it was literally about six months after that where I was had got more used to only performing to real audiences. Yeah. That that started happening because you can become too accommodating to audiences that are kind of on your side already. Mm-hmm. That's why I really got a kick out of that gig the other week at the working men's club where the crowd were a bit unruly, but I sort of managed to manage them because it's like, oh, ah, yeah. this actually feels like a challenge. There's actually some tension here that you can play. What-
1: what is it you think about doing them when you see even if they're not unruly or an unruly person or just a person in general if you decide i'm going to do some crowd work with these people here what goes through your head how do you approach it because that's well, the thing I'm I've,
0: I've got to a point trying with my, to do more. i've got to a point with my set now where there are natural points in the set to building audience interaction so right. so like these little things like um i have a joke about sexual performance, where I say the shortest amount of time that I've ever lasted in bed is minus 58 minutes. Uh, My wife and I joined the mile high club while crossing an international time zone. No, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I did. I think I got that right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Minus
0: fifty-eight Minutes. We crossed an international time zone. Well, you know, anyway, but I often preface that in the gig by just going up to someone in the audience and I try and do it to the person that's being the most of a dick and just saying, hello, sir. Can I ask you a question? Yes. What's the shortest amount of time you've ever lasted in bed? That could lead to some quite fun audience banter, and then once it's tied itself out, then I can drop a joke that I know usually gets a big laugh. That's what I mean when I say audience interaction. It's like I know what my outpoint is, and this conversation starter will tie directly into my joke.
1: So it's just little things like
0: that tend to really help.
1: Setting up a callback like for later on.
0: Yeah, exactly. What about you?
1: Uh, Well, that's like the fan interaction is more the point that I'm trying to do more now because I felt like when you were talking earlier about um, some people feel like they're reading from a script, you know, that's something I struggled with for a while. I think I was always a lot more natural, like doing this kind of stuff, more so in person as well, because I did it in like person before when it was um, before the world died. Um, Yeah, I'm just more natural with that kind of stuff but it took me a while to get out of my head more than anything on stage and just remind myself that i can be the weird guy on stage that's the point i've got to be, well, and generally, I and you know be I,
0: yeah and you know what i think i think the the people that make it are, are funny and they have good jokes but i really think personality is almost more important than anything yeah, like, yeah. the people that really make it tend to have some kind of personality. Like whether you like Michael McIntyre or not, there is a distinct personality there. Uh, James yeah. a. Pastor is a very, very distinct personality in the way he expresses himself. Bill Burr, again, whether you like him or not, he's clearly got this sort of masculine sort of viewpoint. And Joe Rogan- I a lot do of like Bill one. Burr. Yeah, yeah, him and Joe Rogan, they've got very clear viewpoints and ways of expressing themselves that are distinct. And you know it's it's worrying because you know i'd like to think oh it'd be great if you could just write great jokes and be a famous comedian but i do think you have to have more and again it ties into what i'm saying about these young comedians who kill it on social media because they're wearing their personality on their sleeve all the time and people can connect to that more they can see the charisma and they can and they can connect and,
1: yeah yeah
0: uh, yeah hopefully
1: I'm, I'm meandering a bit but i think what i'm saying no. makes sense <laughs> no no it makes perfect sense um because it is more of the thing now it's just become how people digest a lot of um i guess like i, I guess it's how people it's not about how people digest news but it's like a lot of the fandom comes from there anyway yeah uh, people people can virtually stalk now you know um yeah. but it, it, it's one of the things i don't like doing i've never enjoy doing it really um the social media side of it i like share i've now got to the point where i like sharing my projects yes but big enough like myself or just interacting with people on social media or just living on social media like you said some people do put everything they do on there you know it's just i don't enjoy it it's not natural to me people people are too fake on social media for me everyone's portraying themselves
0: hopefully we can find a way of charting our way through this comedy industry without necessarily having to post pictures of ourselves eating and pictures of our lunch and all that kind of thing. So, well, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I might have to go shortly because I'm sort of reaching that two hour bladder point where I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but, um I very no, much no. enjoyed coming on your podcast. Thanks for inviting me on.
1: No, thank you very much, man. Um, yeah, this is about the right amount of time anyway. And i uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, I'm very tired anyway, man. So, thank you for putting up with my tired <laughs> head. Wait, mate, you've got well, two I'll kids, say. I'm
0: amazed you stayed up this way. <laughs> very true. Um,
1: but you have thank you, very... I'm amazed that you stayed up
0: this way.
1: No, very true. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Um,
0: now I'll give I'll let you know. When, so, I think um, we've got some connection issues and we're talking over each other now
1: yeah yeah it is i can see you doing it um hopefully you can hear me but thank you very much for coming on then aiden um just
0: let us know again what was the name of your podcast so my uh, my name is aiden mccaffrey might you can follow me on instagram twitter facebook as at aiden And that might also be my name on tiktok which i joined this week Hmm. Um, and my podcast is called The Movie News Podanza It's like bonanza but pod Movie News Podanza And you can subscribe to that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Pretty much any podcast app going It's available on So I would very welcome your your followers KD To subscribe to it
1: I think my, all my Hinkenbergs Should definitely go on and listen to that I don't think anyone could Have a Hinkenberg I've made a point of that um, Sorry I've made a I've noted that down and I'll include it in the description and that then. But thank you very much then, Aidan. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. I hope you thank have a good night. night, man. Cheers, you see. Like have that. a
0: good weekend. Great to speak to you. Nice to meet you. You too.